This is South Asians Love Rap, stories from people who look like me set to the music that moves them. It's been a while since I've put new content out on this feed, but I'm happy to share a bonus episode that I taped at the end of 2021. I should say that this is not the start of a full 10-episode second season. You know, I really started this podcast to get the ball rolling, and I've been able to branch out and release a few one-off audio pieces that I'm proud of and I'll put in the show notes in case you're interested. Right now, I'm sketching out some new ideas, so if you're interested, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Akash112, and I'm sure I'll post um, when I have new content out. For now, I just want to introduce the writer and audio producer Mano Sundaresan. I'll share a longer intro in a bit. Just know I'm excited. Mano's a real hip-hop head. He writes a lot about new releases, but he also has this deep knowledge of older stuff. We recorded this interview a few days after the stabbing death of Draco the Ruler, who is one of the biggest rappers in LA. He's someone who has gotten a lot of coverage from Passion of the Weiss, a blog that Mono has written for. So the interview does start out on a somber tone, rest in peace to Draco, but we go off on a lot of tangents after we talk about whether 808s and Heartbreak is Kanye's best album. We talk about the connections between South Asian film music and rap. It's a fun conversation. Um, Definitely enjoy. I'm going to drop a few links to Mono's writing and some of the different articles um, and blog posts that we reference in the interview. And uh, enjoy the episode. Thanks. Mano Sundaresan is a music critic, an audio producer at NPR, and the creator of the No Bells blog, which I had the privilege of writing for. He's someone I wanted to interview a year and a half ago when I first kicked around ideas for this podcast, but I'm glad that it didn't work out because uh, the man has been prolific in the time that's passed. Mano wrote the album review for NPR for Kanye West's Donda. He's written for Pitchfork and Vulture and Passion of the Weiss. He's helped to put on a Tiny Desk concert, and he's done a ton more to bring much-deserved attention to regional scenes and up-and-coming artists in hip-hop. Welcome to the show, Mano. Thanks so much for having me. That was that was the best intro I could have asked for. <laughs> uh, man, well, I just want to start. I mentioned Passion of the Weiss, right? Um, I would love to hear a little bit of your background writing for them, but just kind of thinking about the news this week, right? Hearing that Draco the Ruler passed and Jeff Weiss was obviously very involved with his case and has been writing about him for a lot of years. So I'm, I'm curious just how that news is sitting for you. Man, I mean, Draco the Ruler means a lot to Passion of the Weiss and to the writers who work there. Um, it's really deeper than just an artist that we love. He, he became sort of a, a rallying cry for a lot of the, the writers there. Honestly, I think the time I joined Passion of the Weiss, which was around 2017, I didn't even know who Draco the Ruler was. And... As the year progressed, uh, he became my favorite rapper. Big bang coaches on the dashboard, that part. Rob Hoodie on Babs on Max Park. I'm full flam and I ain't never had the crack cause. It was all for the cash flow. He's one of those artists that, like, you can almost build community around, and Passion of the Weiss was that community for me. Uh, and 
you know, it's it's I'm still processing it, to be honest. I mean, we're recording this a couple of days after the fact. So really, it's it's still really, really fresh on our on our minds. Um, yeah, I mean, 2017 is when Cold Devil came out. So that must have been just right. like on the rotation all the time. Man, that album, I had a tweet ready to go today about how that album like rewired my brain, um, which sounds like an exaggeration, but just in terms of the way I think about like flow and like what constitutes like a good flow, um, I think Draco just totally reimagined that for me. Now chopsticks, mopsticks, all in my mama couch, babe, with the apes, I've been strangling snakes, I bought the Batmobile on Bruce Wayne, and some masons all mud, and my kidneys, my plug is a gypsy. This and this is coming from someone who, you know, didn't have a lot of West Coast background before this. Um, so, yeah, that album, yeah, that album's a classic. Yeah, man. Yeah, I um, I also hadn't known much about him. I'd read some on on Fashion of the Weiss, but for this podcast, I was actually in communication with I don't I don't know if you know him, Novin Upamaka, who's like his engineer. Oh, yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah. And and uh, it didn't work out, but prepping for that made me like listen to a lot of his music. And just the outros, you know, where the beat kind of plays and he's just talking shit. Like, even those are like really magical. And so um, it hit me this week, too, just to hear that news. Yeah, for real. His flow is sort of influenced a lot in the scene. One of the bigger L.A. rappers of this year, Ramble, right? Like he he often gets compared to Draco. Yeah, one up on burner and now you got to blow it. No cap. But I mean, no one can do exactly what Draco's doing. And I think those rappers even realize that. Um, it's why you have like offshoots of the flow that feel like entirely different things at this point, going back to Rumble, right? Um, and I, I feel like that just says so much about how great he was as a rapper. Like you just could not imitate him yeah. uh, at all. Yeah, I live in Sacramento right now, and and uh, Brees the Emu, I think it was is his name, like a rapper who right. who, who died, yeah. and and was yeah. like, I remember that day, I like went over to where it happened. It was like outside a gas station, and was listening to some of his music, and heard a lot of Draco like influence. I'm tricky dance moves. I be dancing in these Jordans, ain't no dance I be in the Ling Ling yard like some bamboo, like some white up in her hair wasn't shampoo. And then, and he's from Sacramento, like so. You, I mean, you see it just up and down the coast, right? Um, yeah, Draco. Like when Cold Devil came out, he wasn't like. He wasn't big enough to have Drake features yet at the time, but he was huge in L.A. Um, so he, I mean, I think Jeff often compares him to, like, Gucci Mane or Boosie in this way, in that they weren't, like, hit makers, per se, in, like, the we have the Spotify rap caviar, you know, hit records, but they were, you know, really big where they're from. Um, and it was cool to witness that as an outsider. I mean, I'm from, at the time, I was, I was in Massachusetts, you know, seeing this all yeah. unfold. So Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, man, well, let's talk about that. So, so you grew up in Massachusetts and like you rep a lot for, for Massachusetts rap. So, so tell me a little bit oh, about yeah. that. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I'm born and raised in Massachusetts, this tiny little town in central mass called Shrewsbury. Um, if you're sort of familiar with Massachusetts, it's near Worcester. If you're not familiar with Massachusetts, it's about half hour from Boston. Shrewsbury did feel a bit like an enclave of, of you know, brown people. There was a lot of, a lot of Asians, a lot of brown people there for sure, um, which was, I think, really nice growing up. Um, 
and yeah, I, I guess I guess I gravitated towards rap music in the way that I mean, the sh- South Asians love rap, right? right? <laughs> so we it, it just kind of happened uh, the way it does in like elementary school. Um, Wait. When you say, like, as it does in elementary school, can you go into detail on that? Like, how did you get into rap initially? I mean, I, I talk a lot about this with, with my brother, who's a, who's a producer and, and also just another big music fan. And I, I think I think the reason I got into it, and I'm convinced this is the reason, is because I think it's in the drums. So, I mean, I, I grew up with, like, Bollywood music in the house and with, you know just a lot of fast drum music, South Indian Bollywood music, you know, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with like Rajnikanth, but like he had, you know, this movie Pare Appa, which, which uh, was a big South Indian movie mm. uh, that I always was playing in the house. And, and the music in that, in that movie, um, it's this like very traditional sort of music. It feels almost like Indian classical in a way, almost like, or almost like Indian folk music. Um, the drums are really, really fast. Who are you, man? And I'm convinced this is like that, like subconsciously, I drew the connection between like that stuff when I was like really young. Um, and then like the rap music that sort of flooded into my headphones and just like life in, in elementary school. Are there any songs or artists that come to mind that like connected the dots for you from that like early music you listened to to initially getting into the drum uh the drums and hip-hop i mean i think the artist that really sealed the deal for me was was kanye probably the first artist i like just sort of really locked in with as a listener and like did my research you know um went and downloaded all the albums the one that came out that struck me in sixth grade was uh ways and heartbreak which is an interesting entry point because, like, he wasn't rapping on that album at all. He was he was singing, um, and I think 808s and Heartbreak has has very clear connections to the drums on a lot of Indian music. Um, I don't know if it was intentional, but it just reminds me of it. Like the drums aren't even like amazing off that record. It's amazing. I would say even like paranoid. Why are you so paranoid? Don't be so paranoid. Don't be so baby. It reminds me of like '90s Tamil music. Uh, I think I think there's a lot going on there for sure, and almost the synthetic quality of the music uh, that reminded me of that, either consciously or subconsciously. And that's um, your 808s, your favorite Kanye. Yeah, uh, it is. Yeah, it is. Uh, is that a, is that a controversial take? I don't know. So here's my take on Kanye. Like when I was in ninth grade, College Dropout came out, and that's my favorite album to this day. You know, it meant so much to me. Like I've grown up with him. I feel like so. Like every album has a different meaning to me, and so I take no issue with what folks say their favorite album is. Like when I was like teaching, you know, Life of Pablo came out, and a lot of students for them. Life of Pablo is their favorite album, and they have like good reason to say that. You know, I, said, I think I remember uh, I was teaching high school, and this one girl, her yearbook quote was "I'm a fix wolves," and I thought that was hilarious. You know, that's hilarious. Uh, so, but anyway, getting back to, it, I, I don't think it's a controversial yeah. take at all. I just am curious, like what uh, what makes that your favorite? I think what makes it my favorite. I mean, 
first of all, it's a thing you exactly what you said. It, it's the it's definitely the you know nostalgia value. Um, it's one that I think really feels like experimental to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Kanye often gets pegged as like the experimental rapper, the avant-garde rapper, but like this is the one that doesn't feel like you know four or five other rappers sort of mixed into one not to not to discount the other ones because i feel like they're all i'm not gonna say they're all but like the first oh i don't know the, the ones up until pablo are are all unique and special in their own ways but this is the one that like i, I honestly have the hardest time drawing the lines to like previous artists i mean t-pain is obvious but like i'm not as familiar with like the synth pop stuff he's like clearly sort of drawing from um uh, the production is just so unique, and I still can't like. I mean, if you're listening to this and 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 you and you can name some of the artists that he's clearly you know pulling from that album, please let me know because I want to hear more of this type of stuff. That's the baddest girl I ever seen. Easily to me his best written album. I don't know how much he wrote and how much was sort of crowdsourced, as it seems to go with a lot of his records, but. I like get lost in the writing of that album so much. I think um, it's it's just really strong, like kind of theatric, kind of corny, like heartbreak vibes. You know, like he, he's just he's just in his bag. Like the heart, the heartless chorus, and I think the heartless chorus is actually an interpolation of something else. But like that, that shit's fire to me. Like to this day, like I'm like that's so good. In the night, I hear him talk the cold story. Well, I actually um, wanted to go back to Massachusetts. Um, have you read this book, Signifying Rappers? I have not. No. Okay. I, I, I should send it to you because I think you'd really like it. So okay. so basically this book is um, David Foster Wallace and Mark Costello. They were like living in Boston in 1989. And uh, I think Mark Costello was like a lawyer and David Foster Wallace was like in grad school at Harvard. And they were just like for a summer listening to a bunch of rap and it felt like a lot of critics like just had the music wrong so they would like write these little like notes to each other and like you know the other person would read it and then respond to it and it's like the beginning of of uh wallace's first essay where he's like um (laughs) i have this quote here he's like please know we're very sensitive to this question what business have two white yuppies trying to do a sampler on rap and so he's (laughs) he's really like kind of framing um, his connection to the music by first acknowledging like, yeah, maybe this music isn't intended for me and Mark. And yet we're listening to a ton of it and we love it and we want to write about what people have wrong. And so I say all this to get to this question of like, I wonder for you as someone who's in the world of hip hop journalism, like, do you feel like an outsider or a misfit ever? Um, and like, has that come up for you? Yeah, I mean that's that's a great question. Um and one I've like thought about a lot actually. I think I do feel like an outsider. Um at the same time I, I have to acknowledge I'm a visitor and it's it feels I mean the outsider thing is not like a thing that's holding me back necessarily. Um in fact it sometimes gives me access to things that other journalists don't have. Um you know, it's weird being an Indian American journalist, you know, in the rap space, right? I think I think you 
in some ways can get into get into places other people can't without sort of coming across as like white you know what i mean um it's like that in between and it's something i have to be very conscious about for sure i think it's interesting too because with the internet music that i cover i do so i do i do rap music i also do a lot of internet music which is sort of the phrase that you know catches all of the hip-hop and pop and what have you that sort of populates the internet and i feel like when i'm navigating that space of like internet music um it feels a bit less like i'm an outsider and more like i'm i'm part of that in a way um and i and it's interesting to me because i think like a lot of that music is actually black music too it's just sort of being packaged in a different way um which is why i have why i sort of have this comfort there which you know, you have to, you have to question that. Like, I have to question that all the time. I'm like, this is, this, I mean, why, why, I mean, like, why is it that I'm more drawn to the internet music these days than to rap music? Is it, I mean, is this something about who I am as a person? Is this something about my privilege? Um, yeah, it's, it's a very loaded question. Yeah, to no. To answer your question. <laughs> 100%. And, and I mean, I guess like, I'm, I've always been interested with that essay, how he opens in talking about his identity and opens in really getting at, you know, the elephant in the room, so to speak, of like, here's a book, two dudes are pub- white dudes are publishing about rap, but it has a ton of merits. And I think if anyone was to look at it and be like, I'm not going to read this because of the identity of these two journalists, it would be silly. And yet those are questions that come up. So I'm curious, like how they come up, you know, what, 30 years later, you know, from when they wrote that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think another thing about the Massachusetts connection, right, is that, like, I'm not going to say it's it's the reason I cover Massachusetts music and rap, but I feel almost more of an obligation there. Um, it's like, yeah, I'm Indian and, yeah, I'm not black, but it, it's also just a scene that nobody covers. And it's, it's, it's extremely, you know, on the fringes historically um, for institutional reasons. I mean, we can, there's a lot to talk about there for sure with respect to sort of venues pushing out hip-hop and pushing out rap artists for years and years in Boston. Um, And I have access to these spaces these days with NPR and with Pitchfork and what have you, and I just feel like I have to, you know, talk about that music. It's it's, it's like no one else is doing it. And that speaks to, like, identity being multifaceted, right? It's like we're we're more than... I, I sometimes question that when I do this podcast of, like, South Asians love rap. Like, I don't want to be known as the person who's just covering South Asian issues or connections and stories, right? I think that right. there's other parts of who I am. That's kind of what you're getting at is like yeah. probably the regional identity might have more of a bearing on what you choose to cover and write. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I mean, in your experience, have you, when you see a sort of a South Asian artist, do you, do you, do you feel as though like, do you feel more allegiance to them or do you feel like, you could probably connect to them in a way that you can't connect with other artists and maybe even like if it's a South Asian rapper or something like that, like has that ever, you know, like what do you make of that? That's a good question. I mean, I think I probably have more skepticism and scrutiny right off the bat with some of those artists like, and, but that's connected to like intrigue and like a desire to hear it and, and, and get into it. But you know, definitely not something where I'm like, I'm gonna like this or I need to listen to it because. Yeah, yeah. 
it's it's interesting. I mean, I think the elephant in the room here is Nav, right? And like, yeah, I like some Nav songs. I'm I'm, I'm I mean, my my profile picture right now on Twitter is is a it's it's a joke. But it's, it's a video game image of Nav. Okay. Um, <laughs> and like, no, I'm not I'm not going to talk about that. But uh, Nav, you know, like, I feel like he's he's an artist who like almost i mean he mentions he's a brown boy and like he always talks about that but he like never really goes any deeper than that he thought he was lit until he lit him up i'm just a brown boy with a bag i got haters popping shit i'm just popping all these tags besides that like you don't know anything about his life maybe that he's like depressed sometimes or like he does a lot of drugs and like i don't feel like any connection to this man like besides the occasional brown boy thing which is like just funny to me honestly like i don't even i don't even think of it as like oh yeah like that's me too like it's it's just like it, it, i mean i don't know there are people who like really ride for nav who are brown which is why i mentioned nav but like it's 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 always been interesting to me well i remember reading the piece you did uh about hassan minaj and I, I was curious like that felt like a different subject matter for you to take on and i'm curious like how did that materialize and what was that experience like for you yeah that's that's an interesting piece uh I felt like I had to write it because not just for like the representation reasons, but because, I mean, I think there was a lot to unpack there, um, which is what the piece sort of gets into really is. And it is, I think the, the best part of the piece to me is, is like how it isn't just, you know, Oh, this guy looks like me. So it must be good. It was like, this guy looked like me, but also didn't really look like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and also was sort of like problematic and like, you know, is not something I really, you should like, I should maybe aspire to be as an as a, as a you know person in media or like a journalist necessarily. Um, so there's this complicated history there, and I'll, but 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 at the same time, you know, my parents love this guy, so like, there's a lot there's a lot going on there, right? Um, I basically just sort of instantly pitched that after I heard the show canceled because I knew that there was all this going on, and sort of more of it unfolded with respect to sort of the way he was treating his employees as I was writing the piece, which you know was a lot to you know, cover in like just a few days of writing it. But, uh, and I think it's still almost, it's almost still a developing story. Like, I don't think we know everything that happened there. Um, but I don't know. I don't think I like to generally just write about South Asian issues. Like it feels a little limiting. Um, it doesn't really represent who I am, to be honest. Like, I don't just think about like, you know, Hassan Minaj all the time, or whatever. Like, yeah. you know, like, um, I hope none of us yeah. think about that all the time. <laughs> yeah, I will say I would love I would love to interview MIA one day. Yeah, that's like that's like a that's a South Asian artist I can like get behind. Totally. And it was I, I didn't even know she was South Asian until like in high school. You know, you talked about middle school, high school. Um, getting into rap, and then you went to Williams, and so I'm I'm curious, mm-hmm. like, how did music take up space in your life in college? Was it did it become a bigger part of your life? Absolutely, yeah. It it became like all of it <laughs> at that at the end of college, especially. Um, I I ended up at Williams, which is if you're not familiar, this school in the middle of Western Massachusetts, almost like the northwest corner of Massachusetts, really out there in the middle of nowhere. Um, to put things in perspective, the nearest city is Albany, New York. Um, and we're in Massachusetts. Uh, there's a lot of cows, a lot of farmland. It was sort of an impulse decision because I think I liked the idea of sort of at the time, I liked the idea of academia and the idea of like mm. sort of 
committing to this like hermetic lifestyle of like just like reading books all day and like being an absolute nerd um I, I don't think I regret the decision but I definitely regret the sort of path I took there wherein I was sort of jumping majors all the time you know I was a math major like an econ major uh I think I, I so I settled on like a philosophy major with an Africana studies concentration which translates to I was reading like a lot of really really heavy shit and then like you know uh going and doing college radio basically okay. um and college radio was sort of the outlet for for everything and that actually led to a lot of like throwing shows which is actually probably the most fun i had in college i mean i started writing in college too but but throwing shows was actually really really important to me um my best friend and i carved out this we built a little stage actually in our friend's like house in the basement and we we sort of set up these speakers that we uh, that we bought and made a little venue actually like my mm. whole senior year uh we we like literally it was like a little mini business that we had going um and we brought a bunch of you know artists there a lot of massachusetts rappers <laughs> which is how i actually got to know a lot of them i think my favorite booking was this artist i mean wiki uh mm. who's you know this new york rapper one of my favorite rappers ever actually i think uh did wiki do that song like god bless me like is that yes yeah yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. that song is ill the one with like skepta as a feature yeah okay yeah. i gotta get i gotta listen to more of of him because i just know that song and really like it as you can see god bless me when i caught treat it god bless me and when i sneeze god bless me he put out a great album this year with uh, produced by Navy Blue called Half God. Looking at the cityscape, is it a simulation? In the middle of the city in isolation. Some see it solely for the taking. See the only course to take to make it better for I'm going to waste And I'm doing a blurb on this dude for uh, Passion of the Weiss Best of Album, Best Albums 2021 list. But I feel like he's just like the most New York-ass rapper like I've ever heard. Um <laughs> There are a lot of rappers who like come close, but like this dude just like can't do a verse without like mentioning, you know, being on top of a roof, a roof seeing like all the New Yorkers below him, like ants or you know, his Tims or you know, just like his his bagel with locks, you know, like just like the most New York ass dude I could like ever think of, um, in like the best way too, not like in a corny way. Can't stop peering over, watching the ants walk from my rooftop, feeling enormous. I came across something that said you explored um, like pursuing talent and like becoming an A and R in college yeah. be- before like going the music route. Can you talk about yeah, that? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, damn, that's that's a deep cut right there. <laughs> um, after my junior year of college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I had an inkling it was going to be something in the music business. Um, I think I, th- I think I wanted to be an entertainment lawyer for a minute for like a for like a hot hot second. I, to to explain this to a to a non brown person is is a lot of work, but like, which is probably its audience. But like you know what I mean? Like it's it's a lot there. Like I I was trying to please my parents. I was mm-hmm. trying to you know think about you know how I was gonna make money. You know I was I was thinking about um, my actual interests and all of this congealed into like really weird niche jobs and like the music business. Which sounds, in hindsight, like really depressing. Like I don't think I want that at all. Um, like I don't want to look at contracts all day. You know what I mean? Like those guys, those guys are heroes, but but not for me. Um, yeah. But 
the summer after my junior year, I like interned in New York at uh, 300 Entertainment, which was just like my college sort of funded the internship um, and staying there and such. And it was, it was interesting. I mean, it was kind of kind of weird. Uh, not gonna lie. <laughs> Hope no one from there hears this. But you know, it was it, it, it definitely convinced me that I didn't want to do any of that stuff. Okay. Just because I feel like I heard and saw a bit too much um, that I didn't want to hear and see. And just sort of the way they talked about artists and sort of reduced reduced them to data felt mm. a little dehumanizing to me. It's important work, I guess, but like it just kind of sucked the soul out of it for me. So I was like, nah, I can't do that. So I think at some point my senior year, I sort of committed to journalism. I did take the LSAT, I will say, like still, like I was like, man, I got I to gotta tell my parents something, right? So I took the <laughs> LSAT and like I had that in the bag. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. And I, I mean, I guess in my head, like in our talent at a label feels like more creative in the sense of like, I don't know, I could see parallels between that and music journalism in that you're like scouring mm. the internet and finding some of those sound clouds or finding um, some some hidden gems and like advocating for them. But it sounds like it was a little bit more corporate and like business minded. Is that what I, right? Yeah. And it just kind of felt data driven to me. Um, I mean, I think that I, I'm don't don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure the label's whole thing is like data driven a and Ring and data-driven everything. Like, that's kind of, like, the reason they even started 300. Um, and, you know, great label. I mean, they they have, they had Young Thug first. You know, they had Meg Thee Stallion. Um, they had Fetty Wap. But, like, I couldn't, I just couldn't do that all the time. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, I remember there were days when I was interning there where I just, like, finished a day and I was like, wow, I just do not want to listen to music anymore or like for the rest for the for the evening i'm gonna go watch a movie instead um and i wonder if that's something that like full-time music journalists face ever um because i'm not a full-time music journalist uh fyi i do this like fully on the side at this point right because like your full-time job is producer at npr yeah 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 um you know we we didn't talk about uh cousin steez and mm. and uh, I know like you mentioned that was the first piece you pitched for Passion of the Weiss and like yeah. he's an artist that really I guess represents for Massachusetts like what wh- what is it about him what what do you like about him and and like what's what, uh your connection to him can you talk a little bit about that Yeah I mean so he's like so he's from Boston he's from Dorchester um to be specific and I think what drew me to him and what drew a lot of people from Mass to him is that he just like really made this shit feel cool i mean he really reminds me a lot of currency mm. or like uh wiz khalifa even in that you know he doesn't it doesn't seem like he's, like he's trying too hard on the mic um but he's just really saying some shit we took them losses how they go because we just stick into the code and i had some things i can't explain this flat just knocked me out my brain your bitch just hit me up again. he makes really sort of motivational music, I, th- I would say. I know Shea Serrano talks a lot about this part of him, um, but he just, like, he really does make, like, just music to, like, get up get up and start your day, too. Um, the first tape, Suffolk County, is, like, a personal classic. Um, I actually really wanted to write about that for uh, Shea's, for Shea's, like, albums thing. Like, that was, like, the one for me. Um, it's, like, the soundtrack to Boston in a lot of ways, but it's also the soundtrack to, I think, anyone who's grown up in a situation Stiz has grown up in 
um, the song Shout Out. If I had to pick one from Mass the last like five years, it would be Shout Out. Like if you play that at a party in Boston, everyone knows the words. Um, and like you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe it. Stiz sells out like every show he plays in Massachusetts. Hey. Shout out to the money, love the drugs. Shout out to the money from the drugs. It's just a drug show of money love. Shout out to You know, that interview, I was I remember just being nervous as hell for it. And like just like it was a pretty bad interview to be honest. Like I didn't know what I was asking. I was just kinda like freestyling it because I like I had never done this shit before, right? I was like I think nineteen or something like that. Um and I mean I was proud of it at the end of the day, but it was also like what the fuck? Like I could have done that so much better. So Hopefully one day we, we run it back. Is that yeah. where is that where Nobels comes from? His song? It is. It is. Who you know from out here? Your name ain't ringing no bells, boy. I like to think it's a few things at this point. Like it's definitely this this okay, it's definitely this this song. Mm-hmm. But then I was also thinking about like the whole blog era thing and about how a lot of those blogs were really not that complicated. They weren't trying to like shove six pieces of content in your face on like eight different platforms they were just a website with like a very bare bones sort of look that you just went and read and explored and it was nice and like Nobel sort of represents that too I think just the sparseness of it you've written about a lot of different regions and genres and you've also written about Donda you know for NPR started this blog I guess like what's uh, what are you most proud of? And like, what do you, as we're kind of at the end of the year right now, like, what are you looking back on the year and feeling really, um, you know, happy about? Man, I don't know. Like it's, I, to be honest, I think more than anything, I'm, I'm, I'm proudest of the, of the blog. I mean, blog is a weird word, right? Cause like, I feel like it almost has this effect of like, of like devaluing the thing, but like, that's really what it is. And Sure, I could like. I mean, it's a publication. Like people have been calling it that too. But like, no, like it's. I literally have the dot blog on it. So I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say it's a blog. Um, it's it's Nobel's. You know, I started it in March as like just this random sort of like home for anything really. I mean, this is how we published your piece on on the Wiz Khalifa uh, mm-hmm. engineered big germ, right? Uh, Great interview, by the way. Go Thank read you, man. that if you haven't. Yeah. Um, I'll put it in the comments. <laughs> hell yeah. Um, I think what's cool to me is how people were missing, like, just a real authentic voice in the underground or whatever you want to call our space. Um, and people just started flocking. You know, it wasn't like we had to do, like, crazy amounts of, like, market research or SEO stuff. I just, like, dropped, dropped the links on Twitter. Like, you know, and people just started coming. Um, and... It did definitely help, like, later in the year, I got my homie Shrieker, you know, Shadow Shrieker, uh, came through and sort of really redesigned it and is basically creative directing the whole thing now. Um, but there is definitely still a big interest in music journalism on this level. Um, you know, every piece you write doesn't have to be the big profile of, like, Lil Baby or something in, like, Rolling Stone. Shout out to that profile in Rolling Stone, by the way. That are, that's a great profile. But, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't have to be, like, you know, this grand thing. It's it's really just about tracking how you listen to music and understanding how you listen to music, and people like to read that if you just give it to them. Yeah. Man, well, thanks for doing this. Of course. Yeah. This was really fun, Akash. Yeah, it means a lot. Yeah. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of South Asians Love Rap. Thank you to Mono for coming on the show. If you want to check out more of his stuff, follow him at Mono Sundaresan on Twitter. You can also take a look at some of the links in the show notes here. South Asians Love Rap is mixed, mastered, and hosted by me, Akash Pandey. Theme music by Dust Collector, cover art by Aaron Zonka.